Hello and welcome to Sake Revolution, America's first sake podcast. I'm your host, John Puma. And I'm your host, Timothy Sullivan. And together, we'll be exploring the brave new world of sake. That's right, Tim. So uh, what's on tap for today? Well, since this is our first episode, why don't we start with some self-introductions? Basically, explaining to everyone how the two of us became obsessed with sake. I'm not certain I feel great about the word obsessed, but I am sitting here recording a podcast about sake, so it's probably a little bit on the more accurate side. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Um, every episode, when we're done doing our introductions, we're going to talk a little bit about sake education and chat about a different topic. Today, we're going to lead things off with a fine-grained look at Semai Buai. Fine-grained. I see what you did there. Yeah, puns are, 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 are a thing. <laughs> well, I think that sounds great. And, you know, what would a sake podcast be without some sake tasting? So together, we'll be tasting one of our all-time favorite sakes. This one really is one of my favorites, and I can't wait. I can't wait to have it. I haven't had it in a long time. I can't either. Well, all right then. We're going to get started with our self-introduction since this is our first episode, and um, I think uh, I'll go first. So, Well, you, you have been doing this longer than me, so you definitely got to go first. A few years longer. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I got my start in the world of sake in 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people ask me how I got into a sake career, and it really started out loving sake as a hobby. You know, it was a hobby that changed into a career. And uh, I went out for Japanese food back in 2005. I had uh, delicious premium sake for the first time. And after that, I became super interested in sake. And a few months later, I started a website, urbansake.com. And that is what got me on the road to having a career in sake. I began going to every event I could go to writing about sake in my free time. And soon I had my first trip to Japan. Uh, I became a sake samurai in 2007. And then uh, 2016, I had a chance to live in Japan and work as a sake brewer. And all the while blogging and keeping things going on my website. And uh, right now I'm brand ambassador for Hakai-san Sake Brewery and uh, working on a very, very cool podcast. That gets us up to date. I can't believe I have to follow that up. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> uh, I actually had my first real sake experience in Japan. Uh, I was uh, in 2006. So you're already writing about sake at this point, I would imagine. Uh, I was I, I had the opportunity to go to Japan for the first time. And I was woefully unprepared for my trip. Uh, I was... Um, not really being open to new foods, not being open to new drinks. And I was very nervous. Uh, and a friend of mine wanted me to relax a little bit. He was very much enjoying the local sake and was like, you should, you, you should try some of this. And I was like, I, I don't know if I will now get you, take your sakes elsewhere. And eventually wore me down and got me to have some. And, and I was like, Oh, okay. All right. This is, I didn't know that this was like this. <laughs> um, I really wasn't um, wasn't really into any kind of like uh, drinks in the way that like people who are into wine are into wine or people who really like whiskey are into whiskey, uh, and I I never really understood it. And I had this, and I was just like, "There's there's something there's something different here. There's something special." Yeah. Uh, and when we got back to New York, we discovered that New York has a massive amount of of izakayas and sake bars, and 
it became a, a quest of ours to kind of go and explore them all and try out as many sakes that are available here as possible. And it became a, a big hobby for me. Um, and now these days uh, I run a website called thesakenotes.com where I chat chat about sake. We do some videos and also run occasional uh, tasting events to introduce new people to it. Sounds great. So it sounds like both of us had that aha moment oh, with yeah. sake. What was that like for you? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well, it was it was very surprising because it was not it was in no way what I expected. I, I thought it was going to be a little more like a spirit. Honestly, I, I, it's a clear liquid. I was giving it being given to it in a tiny little cup, and I was like, "Well, this is going to be rough." And <laughs> and I sipped on it. I was like, "Wait a minute, this is so much more like." Uh, and it, I, I didn't. Think, I don't think I had the words back then, but now I would say like, "Oh, this is much more like what I, at the time, would have expected from wine." Um, you know, definitely not like a beer. Definitely not like a. Definitely not like a like a tequila. Like a, again, clear liquid in a shot. Um, so it really impressed me. Really surprised me. Yeah, I remember saying to myself, "I remember this as if it was yesterday." Taking a sip of that, saying, "This is amazing." And then thinking to myself, why didn't anyone tell me about this? Like, <laughs> this should be a thing. People should know about this. And that thought has really guided a lot of my life for the last 15 years, <laughs> you know, spreading the word and getting people to have their own aha moment with sake. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, when somebody who's never had sake before, and, and I've had, I'm sure you've had too, many opportunities to kind of introduce people and be like, look, this is what sake is. Uh, and they're, they'll, a lot of times, like, do, you get, do you get pushback on that sometimes? Oh, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Um, and they have it. And then it's just, like, everyone's just like, wow. Like they, People don't know what to expect from sake, but it almost is never what they get. They are always surprised and happy about it. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I sometimes give sake to people for the first time at a sake tasting. And even if you give them the most delicious elixir of sake, Whatever it is, they have a mental block about sake and they just can't enjoy it. Really? And, you know, we might be in a group and everybody is like, this is the most delicious thing I'm ever, I ever had. And there might be one person in there who is just like, nope, sake is not for me. I'm not a sake person. <laughs> nope, can't do it. And it's like their taste buds are disconnected from their brain. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> They're out there. But what makes it all worthwhile is when you do introduce sake and they have that transformative aha moment and there's new sake obsessives being born every day yep and luckily uh, lucky for us we're in the states where sake is becoming more popular all the time it's like i feel like when i compare even to when i started drinking sake so let's say in 2006 the options that were available in new york and that's new york metropolitan blah 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 is yeah, i would say the amount of the, the range of sake you can get here is at least doubled since then probably tripled and it's it's as a as a sake fan that's a wonderful thing it really is and you know i'll say one more thing about the evolution of things not only have we gotten more and more sakes but i think the technology over the last 15 years that allows us to get sake and talk about sake has changed so much i remember that aha moment i was describing there was no iphone there was no facebook there was no <laughs> instagram uh, i had a palm pilot with a grainy, grainy camera on it. And I did take a picture of, you know, that first experience because I wanted to, rem <laughs> wanted to remember that. But uh, 
the technology has come so much. Like sometimes I look at these these apps that are out there and the way people can share with Instagram stories now, and it's just it it really is a different world. It it really is though. Um, I I think that uh, I think I might have had a flip phone when I first tried soccer. I didn't have the palm. I had I had a palm before that, but it wasn't like no, it wasn't like internet connected or anything like that, so it couldn't do a lot. Yeah. Well, I think that there's been a lot of uh, growth, and you know, we're we're so lucky to live in New York too. But yeah. we we should say that one of our goals through this podcast is to help people all over the country get access to sake. So when we do review sakes coming up, um, we will be in our show notes giving places where you'll be able to order them from. So yeah. if you're listening somewhere and you want to get good sake near you, stay tuned and be sure to read our show notes. Yeah, the, this is, this is a, only half of the experience. Yes. <laughs> the rest of it's in the notes. Excellent. So now that everyone knows a bit of who we are, how about we move to our sake education corner? All right, Tim. So what do I need to know about Say My Boy? Well, I think of all the different things we could talk about related to sake education, Say My Boy, in my opinion, is one of the cornerstone concepts. If you understand Say My Boy as a consumer, you have a real leg up on understanding some really important things about sake. Mm-hmm. So first, let's start with a definition. Say my buai. What that really means in English is the rice milling ratio or the rice milling percentage. Sake rice is milled or polished before brewing. Now, do you know why they polish rice? Uh, I mean, I have a couple of ideas, but... Uh, they might be wrong. Let's hear it. Okay, um, I imagine they're polishing the ri- polishing the rice because they want to get uh, they want to get at the core of the ri- of of each like, grain of rice. That's where the um, the proteins are. Is that accurate? Boop boop. That's Damn. where that's where the starch is. That's where the starch is. So they want to get to the starch. Yes. All right. The reason for that is starch can be converted into sugar. And then sugar can be converted into alcohol. Yep. So there's three components, basically, that make up a grain of rice. You've got starch, you've got fats, and you've got proteins. And the fats and the proteins are the parts of the rice grain that give it a ricey flavor. Those are actually the more nutritious parts of the rice grain. But with sake rice, there's this core, starchy core, the Japanese call it shinpaku. It means the white heart. It's the center of the rice grain. When I teach my classes, I often tell people to think of a hard-boiled egg. You've got a yolk in the middle, mm-hmm. and then you have your egg white on the outside. And in a very uh, uh, rough kind of way, you could consider a grain of sake rice to have the same structure. There's a starchy core, and then the fats and proteins are more on the outside. And the reason that this setup, this structure of the rice grain is so important is that it allows the brewers to mill the rice down, slowly grind away the outer layers, and isolate the starch in the center. That is semi-buai. The percentage to which the rice is milled down, what's remaining is the semi-buai, or rice milling percentage. All right, so then if a, if a sake has been milled more, then it's, that's probably more difficult. Is that sake typically going to be a little more expensive? That is exactly right. The more you mill or polish the rice down, the longer it takes 
the smaller the grain gets and the more expensive that sake will be. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. If you need to buy one ton of sake rice to make your batch of sake and you decide to mill your rice down to 50%, what you really have when you're done with all the milling is only half a ton of sake rice to work with. So you need to buy a lot more raw material if you're going to use a very low milling rate. So why, why would people want to use a low milling rate? What's the advantage, do you think, to milling down to all these small sizes? Well, uh, I think that you're going to get well, I, I know that you're going to get a much, uh, a usually a much lighter flavor. Uh, it's usually going to be a little more refined. No pun intended with the word refinement, uh, but you know it, it's going to lose that that ricey flavor that you mentioned earlier. That's only from the outside. Um, that's is, is that. Uh, am I on the right track? Yep, that's exactly right. So the um, the types of sake that have a, a very low milling rate, uh, let's say. 40% remaining, 35% remaining. Uh, you've milled away all the fats and proteins for sure. You've got almost exclusively starch isolated, and those sakes are going to have a very smooth, velvety texture, mm -hmm. generally a bit of a lighter body, but you won't get those overt, ricey, or grainy flavors that come from the fats and proteins. So it's a way to make very elegant and very velvety smooth sakes, and it's a stylistic choice. I think I'm understanding why people tell me I have expensive taste in sake. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's important to say, whenever I talk about semai buai or this rice milling percentage, what people immediately assume is that the lower the number, the better. And people start to chase this low number, low milling rate sake. And I just said a moment ago, it's a stylistic choice. And I think that sakes that have a, a milling rate that's 80% remaining, 70% remaining, 50% remaining. They're all different flavors, different styles, and they can all be absolutely delicious. So it's really what you're after and uh, what style of sake you're looking for. But I encourage listeners not to chase after the super low milling rate. Um, that's, that's like saying, oh, well, I heard Ferrari's the best kind of car, so that's all <laughs> I'm driving from now on. Oh. You know, that's Subarus weird. have that's their not true. <laughs> Subarus have their charms too. They do. Uh, so um, that's the car I had when I was growing up. Now, 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 my 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 last car. As again, we we mentioned earlier, we are we are in New York, and many New Yorkers don't have cars. My very last car was a Subaru. All and, right, and I I there's not a there's not a month that goes by where I don't spend at least some time thinking about it. <laughs> What do you think? Subaru is like a Junmai Ginjo of, of cars. It was a, it's, it's kind of like a really good Junmai. I had a WRX. Tokubetsu Junmai. Junmai. Maybe a Genshu because it was a turbo uh, <laughs> and it was manual. It was a really nice car, Tim. It was really nice. All right. So getting back to Semai Buai or this rice milling percentage. Um, another reason that this is a really important concept to understand, not only does it influence the taste of the sake um, and the price of the sake, but it also has a big impact on the classification of the sake. Uh, we're not going to get into classifications deeply today, but there's different grades and classifications of sake, and those are also based on what the milling rate is. So that's another reason that in the world of sake, semai buai is one of the first things you have to learn about. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're starting with it today. Absolutely. So do you think you understand better? I think I do. All right. Well, if you guys have any questions, you can 
always email us at feedback at sakerevolution.com. If you have any sake questions, I will be happy to work it into a future episode whenever we're in the sake education corner. That sounds great. All right. You know what time it is now? What time is it? It is time to taste some sake. All right. All right, John. It's time. It's time. It is that time. This is my favorite part of the show. (laughs) This is why we're here. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we're going to be tasting a sake that is a dearly loved favorite of both of us. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't you introduce us to what we'll be tasting? Uh, So today, for our inaugural episode, we are going to be uh, tasting uh, the Dewasakura Dewa Sansan. They call it a Green Ridge here in the States. Mm -hmm. And it is a Junmai Ginjo. It's polished down to 50%. The uh, Seimai Buai is 50%. See, I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the alcohol percentage is uh, between 15 and 16. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple other stats that we have for this sake. The acidity is 1.4, and the sake meter value is plus 4. If you don't know what those mean, uh, don't worry about it. We'll be getting to those uh, explanations in future episodes in our education segment. Uh, but just if you wanted to know that, that's what they are for this particular sake. And um, before we taste, what are your expectations for this sake, having tasted it before? Um, so uh, I find that most Dewasakura sakes have a bit of a cherry uh, bouquet to them. So when you, especially when you when you open up the cap, if you put the bottle to your nose really fast, you'll Mm. almost always get some cherry. And that goes for almost all of their sakes. There's something very unique about their line that they always capture this, no matter what they're doing. If their sakes are sweet, if they're dry, they always have that little, that, that note on the nose. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I think when a lot of people think of Dewazakura, they're going to think about fruitiness, like Mm. an overall, a really gorgeous fruity fruitiness. Um, so that's something we can look at. And uh, they make uh, really wonderful premium lines of sake. So premium and also fruity. That's what I would expect. Yeah. And um, it, this is also pretty fresh. Um, this was only bottled in July of this right. year. That's pretty great. Awesome. Yeah. So, so I'll put a little in here. And... I'll pour for myself. I couldn't really reach over. <laughs> Probably should have rinsed these out right. first. I can still smell the yuca a little bit. Uh, yuca more a little bit. Do you want to go rinse your glass? Nah, it's fine. Okay. All right, so we have the sake in our glasses. And for our listeners, what are we drinking out of, John? So we are drinking out of wine glasses today. Um, I think most days we're going to be drinking out of wine glasses. Uh, I think that we are both big fans of drinking out of wine glasses, drinking sake out of wine glasses. Uh, They're convenient. You probably already have some laying around. And they're fantastic for tasting sake. Absolutely. First of all, the clear wine glasses, you can look at the color of the sake. Some people think, oh, all sake is perfectly clear. But sakes do have different shades, different colorings to them, so that's important to look at. 
The bowl of the wine glass helps us to appreciate the aroma. You can give it a little swirl and don't be afraid to stick your nose right into that wine glass. Give it a smell. And then also, wine glasses that have a stem to them allows you to hold the glass without warming the bowl. So if you hold by the stem, the heat from your hand and your fingers is not going to warm up the sake. So that's another reason um, I opted for a stemmed glass today. Yeah. Um, I unfortunately don't have a lot of stemmed glasses at home. They tend to uh, suffer a uh, a crippling death in our dishwasher. Uh, So we have a lot of stemless glasses, and I compensate for the warmth by drinking the sake more quickly than I normally would. That sounds great. I have a lot of stemless glasses, too. (laughs) So um, let's give it a swirl, and let's smell this bad boy first. I've been cheating. I've been smelling it the whole time. Mm. Again, this is one of my uh, one of my favorite sakes for 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 scent for smelling it. I, yeah. I just absolutely think this smells fantastic. It's wonderful. The aroma is magnificent here. So you mentioned cherry notes. Mm-hmm. I mentioned it overall fruitiness. But one thing I'm also getting right away that pops to my mind when I'm smelling this sake is floral components as mm. well, like a little bit of lilac or a little bit of white flower. Um, that may sound a little esoteric, but uh, when you when you uh, get into sake tasting a little bit deeper, you can try to look at different layers of the aroma. But the primary aroma here, again, as I think we mentioned, is uh, a really lovely fruitiness. Yeah, this is this is what I come to sake for. <laughs> mm. All right, should we give this sake a taste? I think so. It's time, and. How do we say cheers in Japan? Kampai. Kampai. It literally means empty cup, but we do not have to empty our cups. Not right uh, away, at least. We can be sake sippers, um, but that is how you say cheers. Kampai. So let's give this a taste. So one of the first things that jumps out to me right away is the texture of this sake. Mm-hmm. It's velvety. It's silky smooth, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and... And I mean, you know, we mentioned earlier that when you when you mill your sake down a lot, you're going to get that velvety texture. But I, even even knowing that, and knowing that this is uh, a fifty percent uh, Junmai Ginjo, I think it's still like f- even for that that class, it is uh, especially velvety, absolutely and luxurious. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think about the finish of this sake? That would be like the aftertaste of this sake. I think it's it's finishing a, l- a little on the drier side. Yep. And as far as the length of the finish goes, uh, compared to some other sakes, I think this one lingers just a little bit longer on the palate. A bit. Yeah. So um, you have a little bit of what I would call that wine-like finish where you get some uh, of the lingering fruitiness, a little bit of pear kind of lingering on the palate. And I think that's where you're picking up on that that drier, crisp finish. And I personally, I like that kind of uh, that kind of journey in a tasting, where I'm, I'm sipping something very fruity. Uh, I, I, I it, it, then you're initially hit with that 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 really nice mouthfeel and and fruit flavors, and then it tapers off into that you know lighter, crisper, and then you know, lighter, crisper flavor, um, drier flavor, and then it just kind of lingers and fades out. And it's it's a it's you're not just having a sip and then it's done. You're going on a bit of a journey with it. Absolutely. So w- what do you think would be some good food pairings for this 
Dewazakura, Dewasansan. <clears throat> this is a this is a very hard one for me. What do you suggest? Well, um, it's definitely a fruity sake. Um, it has a rich, a little bit of a silky texture to it, and a bit of a lingering finish. So honestly, I would prefer to have this with lighter dishes. I'm thinking mm-hmm. uh, salads or um, uh, vegetable dishes. Uh, when you get into things like you know steak or cooked meats or yakitori, things like that, that have a little bit of char or smoke on them, I find those might be a little bit too overpowering for this. So I like things that maybe white fish, poached salmon, um, mm, salads. Yeah, me too. <laughs> salads um, and vegetable dishes. So more on the lighter appetizer side i think would pair very very well with the sake right i think that uh the, the smoky dishes like you were mentioning like your your steaks and your yakitori i think that's going to be more that's going to want something that has a you know a bit less say my boy that's right uh those will take very kindly to a sake that has a bit more overt rice flavor a little more grain and uh this sake you know, if you blindfolded someone, you know, they'd be hard pressed, I think, to guess that this comes from rice <laughs> if they've never had had it before. It's so, uh, you know, juicy and silky and just absolutely delicious with those lovely fruit notes on the palate and in the aroma. Uh, it's really charming sake. And, uh, you know, when it comes to food pairing, I think people can sometimes get caught up a little bit too much in food pairing. Sake is very forgiving when it comes to food pairing. And uh, I'm a person who likes to come home from a hard day at work, have a glass of sake, and relax. And uh, I'm not eating anything at that time, and this would be the perfect sake for that situation. What do you think? I mean, that is that is also how I typically enjoy my sake. Um, you know, I... I I don't, unfortunately, it leads to me not having as much experience with pairing as I would like in my day-to-day life because I do like to just kind of relax with this, you know, unwind with a sip of, uh, of sake, uh, kind of like somebody would come home and have some wine. Uh, mm-hmm. But for me, it's sake. And, and for that, these kinds of delicate sakes are like perfect for that. Yep. Fantastic. Great. Well, um, just one more word about this sake. Uh, the sake rice that is used is called Dewa Sansan. And this is a sake rice that you won't find all over Japan. Uh, This is a sake rice that is grown exclusively in Yamagata. So this is a rice that the prefecture, the area of Yamagata in Japan, developed and promote. And they use it exclusively in their sakes. So that's one of the key differentiators between this sake and sake from other parts of Japan. So if you ever see this sake variety called Dewa Sansan, you're going to know right away that that sake is from Yamagata Prefecture. And it's probably no coincidence that <laughs> that's generally speaking where I love to have my sake from. That is my favorite region for sake. Mm. I love Yamagata sake too. It is the home to some of our favorite breweries, wouldn't you say? This is one of my favorite breweries, so definitely. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Now, uh, if someone wants to purchase this sake... What should they do? They should check the show notes. That's right. We are going to have um, information on where you can find this sake and all the sakes we talk about in our podcast. They'll be available in our show notes. And you can also visit sakerevolution.com to check on episodes, 
where to buy, and all the information on our education corners as well. Okay, so, John, where can people get this sake if they want to get their hands on it? Well, that's actually a, a bit of a complicated answer, uh, but the short version is go to our show notes and you're going to find out a lot about where you can probably get a lot of the sake. The tricky part is that in the United States, the availability really, really, really varies on what state you're in. Uh, sake that's being imported needs to register in every single state that they want to sell in. And it doesn't always happen overnight. And a lot, you know, there's, there's not as much demand in some states as there are in others. But in our show notes, we're going to be listing places that will, generally speaking, deliver to you in most U.S. states. That's right. And in our show notes, we're also going to have information on what we covered in our sake education. And also, um, and also in our show notes, we're going to have information on all the different sake education topics that we cover. All right. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. And if you don't mind, please take a moment and rate our show on Apple Podcasts. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And make sure to, to send us your feedback on the show or if you have ideas or if you want us to do new things or if you want us to taste certain kinds of sake or talk about certain topics, you can drop us an email at feedback at sakerevolution.com. So until next time, remember to keep drinking sake and... Kanpai! Kanpai!